Welcome once again to the Raw Attitude Podcast, where we chronologically take you through episodes of Monday Night Raw from the Attitude Era. I am, of course, your host, professional wrestler Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex. As always, thank you for listening, and we welcome your feedback at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or reaching out to us via Twitter at rawattitudepod. Also, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play as well. And of course, if you write a five-star review for us, I will be sure to read it on this very show and give you full credit for doing so. One quick note up front, my episode of the Rundown Wrestling Podcast's WrestleMania Salvation Series is now available, where the host Sal and I discuss WrestleMania 7 for about two and a half hours. WWF Champion Sergeant Slaughter is an Iraqi sympathizer, The Undertaker begins his streak, and the Ultimate Warrior and Macho King Randy Savage have a retirement match, followed by what may be the most emotional moment in WWE history. I'll put the link to it in the description for this episode of the Raw Attitude Podcast, so be sure to give that a listen, because it's a fun trip down memory lane. And speaking of recapping pay-per-views, the next episode of this very podcast will cover the 1998 Survivor Series, as well as the following night's episode of Raw, and a very special guest will be joining the show for that episode. Lee Carlos Cunningham, the host of the Raw is Nitro podcast, will be coming on to discuss the pay-per-view, which he's told me he has seen 50 times. I assume that was an exaggeration, but even still, it's a show he's watched on many occasions, so I'm looking forward to hearing what he has to say about Survivor Series. In the meantime, be sure to check him out on the Raw is Nitro podcast, and you can also go back and listen to him on episode number 30 of this fine podcast as well. Alright, so, with that being said, let's get into Monday Night Raw. It is Monday, November 9th, 1998, and we are pre-taped six days in advance from Reunion Arena in Dallas, Texas. Some of the other noteworthy events which have taken place in this same venue include Fully Loaded 2000 and the February 21st, 1998 episode of Raw, which I covered in episode number nine of this show with Adam from the aforementioned Rundown Wrestling Podcast. That episode of Raw is most remembered for the segment where The Rock provides the other members of the Nation of Domination with Rolexes, except for Farouk, who receives a framed picture of The Rock. Fun times. So there are no opening credits this week, but we do get the pyro and the obligatory scanning of the crowd. Some of the noteworthy signs in the audience tonight include I'm double parked, I like tuna fish, give us Socko or give us death, Shamcock, I can't read, where is Kamala, And I laid cable in Sable, which I thought was pretty funny for some reason. Now, before I officially jump into the recap, there is one important thing to note, which happened on the day this episode of Raw was taped on November 3rd, 1998. As mentioned last time on this podcast, former wrestler-slash-commentator Jesse Ventura was running as a candidate for the governor of Minnesota, and the election was held on this very day. 
However, Jesse was representing the tiny Reform Party, whereas his opponents Norm Coleman and Skip Humphrey were representing the Republican and Democratic parties, respectively. Obviously, here in America, third-party candidates hardly ever win elections because we tend to stick to party lines and vote for either Republicans or Democrats. And so, here were the results of the election. Humphrey received 28.1% of the vote, Coleman received 34.3%, and Jesse the Body Ventura actually fucking won the gubernatorial election of Minnesota by collecting 37% of the vote. And I ask you, if wrestling was not so popular at this time period, would Jesse have had any shot whatsoever at becoming governor? I highly doubt it. So congratulations to Jesse Ventura for an unlikely win, and perhaps he can give The Rock some pointers when he runs for president in 2024. All right, so let's get into Monday Night Raw. We begin the show by jumping right into a match, WWF European Champion X-Pac versus The Undertaker, accompanied by Paul Bearer, in a non-title match. Last night on Sunday Night Heat, X-Pac was scheduled to face Steven Regal, but before the match could begin... Taker attacked X-Pac. Why The Undertaker is concerning himself with friggin' X-Pac of all people, I have no idea, but that's what set up this match tonight. And truthfully, it wasn't much of a match, because these two only fought for a few seconds before Taker got Pac in the corner and started stomping the shit out of him until... the lights went out and Kane's music hit. The Big Red Machine then began walking down the aisle and toward the ring, but... While he was doing that, The Undertaker picked X-Pac up by his hair. When Kane entered the ring, he held his hand up, pointed it toward Taker, and shot a fucking fireball. Holy shit, I definitely was not expecting that. I think Kane had some sort of object up his sleeve or in his glove in order to make that effect possible, but it certainly caught me by surprise. But unfortunately for X-Pac, The Undertaker basically used him as a human shield, so he got nailed in the face with the flame. With Pac writhing around in pain on the mat, The Undertaker then simply ducked out of the ring, and he and Bearer started walking backstage with Kane in pursuit. Back in the ring, the New Age Outlaws gathered around X-Pac to provide moral support, as paramedics tend to his injured eye. Strangely, even though the paramedics were only focusing on Pac's right eye, they put gauze over both of his eyes, which seems inconvenient because, you know, now he can't fucking see at all. And after a quick commercial break, we go backstage where X-Pac is still being tended to by paramedics. Also at this point, I realize that Pac has really bad luck when it comes to his eyes. A few weeks ago, Jeff Jarrett smacked him with a guitar, and a piece of it got stuck in his eye, and now he gets a goddamn fireball launched into his eye too. At this point, it makes me wonder if he'd be allowed to wrestle with a dog leading him around the ring. We then go elsewhere backstage where the wheelchair-bound Mr. McMahon is accompanied by the big boss man, Pat Patterson, Gerald Briscoe, and Commissioner Slaughter, whose arm is in a sling. Last week, the boss man beat the shit out of Patterson, Briscoe, and Slaughter with his nightstick, but apparently they've forgiven him for that pretty quickly. So Vince rolls up to Mankind, who is holding his new hardcore title over his shoulder. Vince tells Foley that he'll be defending his new title tonight against Ken Shamrock, but before he can do that... He needs a makeover. Vince says that more titles are going to be coming to Mick, so he needs to look like a proper champion. And it appears quite clear that Vince certainly has a preference for who he wants to win the WWF title tournament this Sunday at Survivor Series. After that, we head back to the arena for our next match, Val Venus versus Steve Blackman. Shortly after Val started walking to the ring, 
Terry Runnels followed after him, and, when the big Valboski realized she was at ringside, he told her to get lost, so she just headed right backstage. Last week, you may recall that Terry announced that she was pregnant, but Val told her that it was her problem that she had to deal with on her own. And then, last night on Sunday Night Heat, Val revealed to Kevin Kelly why he was so standoffish toward Terry. Val, a lot of people feel you've been insensitive to Terry Reynolds' pregnancy. <laughs> insensitive? Sure I was. But let me make one thing very clear right here, right now, Kevin. You see, she is conniving, she is manipulative, and she is a liar. Val, how can you be so sure, though? I mean, you two have really been an item. <laughs> I'll tell you how. You see, in my line of work, one has to take certain precautions. Years and years ago, I had a vasectomy. Oh. Well, that, uh, that would explain your certainty. <laughs> Let me put it to you this way, Kevin. If there were any seeds in this watermelon, there'd be a whole lot of little Valboskis running all over the damn place. And you know just as well as I do that there is only one big Valboski. <laughs> so there you have it. Val could not be the father of Terry's child because he had a valsectomy. Alrighty then. But anyway, as for the Val Venus-Steve Blackman match, it was solid but rather short, only going about 2 minutes and 20 seconds. Eventually, Val hit Blackman with a side Russian leg sweep, and then he stood over Blackman and gyrated to taunt him. However, while he was doing that, Terry Runnels re-emerged from backstage and hit Val with a low blow right in front of the referee, resulting in a disqualification. Yes, a DQ finish. Shocking, I know. However, as soon as Terry exits... Owen Hart and the Blue Blazer run into the ring and start beating the crap out of Blackman. If you recall last week, Dan Severn accused Owen of being the Blue Blazer, but we found out later that night that they were two different people. Who is it under the mask? I think it's pretty obvious at this point. It's clearly Owen's father, Stu Hart. We then go backstage where we see Mankind holding his hardcore championship while a woman is cutting his hair. She informs him that Vince McMahon is paying for a complete makeover for him, and Mick says that he hopes Vince will also spring for some new teeth for him as well. It certainly appears that Mick is being groomed, in more ways than one, to become the new WWF champion. After a commercial break, we go back to the arena for our next match, and it's a triple threat match. The Road Dog Jesse James, accompanied by Billy Gunn, versus D'Lo Brown, accompanied by Mark Henry, versus Mosh, accompanied by Thrasher. Last week, D'Lo Brown and Mark Henry faced the Headbangers in a match to determine who would become the number one contenders for the Outlaws' WWF Tag Team titles, but Kane interrupted the match, resulting in a no contest. Unfortunately for the Outlaws, last night on Sunday Night Heat, Vince McMahon announced they would then have to face both tag teams at Survivor Series in a triple threat match, so that would be the reason why we're getting this tune-up tonight. One other important thing to note about this match is that the referee for it is... Shane McMahon! Last week on Raw, Vince demoted his son to a referee position, and it appears that Shane has agreed to go along with it, so he is now donning the black and white stripes. Also, Shane actually got some reps in last night on Sunday Night Heat as well, where he refereed the Godfather Mark Merrow match. And Shane actually does a pretty good job refereeing this match too, despite all the chaos that comes along with a triple threat match. It went about five and a half minutes and was actually very entertaining, with the action being non-stop throughout. 
The finish came when D'Lo hit Road Dog with his sky-high spine buster, but he took too long to celebrate, which allowed Mosh to go to the top rope. From there, he hit D'Lo with a flying seated senton and landed on his chest. Thankfully, that chest protector probably absorbed the majority of the impact, but it was enough to pick up the one, the two, and the three. Your winner, somehow, is Mosh. However, as soon as the match ended, Billy Gunn ran into the ring and single-handedly cleared out Mosh, D'Lo, and even Mark Henry when he came in to provide backup. The Outlaws are standing tall right now, but the odds will certainly not be in their favor this Sunday at Survivor Series. We then go backstage where Michael Cole is with Jeff Jarrett and Deborah McMichael. Jarrett says Al Snow pisses him off, so he's going to take care of him at Survivor Series. And Deborah then gets in a strange line where she says that Goldust isn't fooling anyone because she knows that he's all man under his suit and she's going to prove it tonight. So, uh, Deborah is going to whip out Goldust Johnson tonight, apparently? Good thing this is a pre-taped episode. We then go elsewhere backstage where Mankind is getting a pedicure. He informs the pedicurist that Mr. Sacco used to live on his left foot, but he's still unable to find him after losing him last week. However, Mick says he doesn't miss Sacco as much because he has his new family with him, Pat, Gerald, Commissioner Slaughter, and Dad, meaning Vince McMahon. To which I say, what, he doesn't consider the boss man to be family too? He's around all the time. So we head back to the arena for our next match, Goldust versus Jeff Jarrett, who is accompanied by Deborah. Before the match begins, Terry Runnels comes to the ring again, but just like last week, she's dressed in a golden gown and holding a cigar, so it appears she's trying to revert back to her old Marlena persona in order to win her husband's favor. Does it work? You be the judge. What what do you want? I'm pretty sure it's not gold dust. You've been following me around. I mean, you you really want me back that bad, don't you? You've been a bad girl. You know that, don't you? You and I once had a life together. Once. Once. Hey, the time has come for you. Right now, you look into these eyes. You understand me? The time has come for you to forget that you ever heard the name of Gold Dust. Whoa. That sounds pretty final to me. The credits have already rolled. And, sweetheart, this is truly the end. So get back there and get on a jet and get out of my life. Wow. That is final. And with that, Terry takes the cigar, snaps it in half, throws it at Goldust, and storms off backstage. It appears that she's not having much luck finding a father figure for her soon-to-be-born child. Getting into the Goldust-Jeff Jarrett match, following up on Deborah's assertion that she was going to prove that Goldust was all-man, it appears she may have backed that up because she did taunt Goldust outside the ring, which resulted in him following her around, but that allowed Double J to sneak up on him and regain the advantage. Back in the ring, Goldust eventually managed to put Jarrett in the corner, hit him with ten punches, and then set him up for the shattered dreams. However, before Goldust could kick Jarrett in the balls, Deborah entered the ring. She went face-to-face with Goldust, and her distraction appeared to work. But then Goldust pulled a Weinstein and planted an unwanted kiss on her. In the meantime, however, Jarrett had rolled out of the ring and grabbed his guitar, so once Goldust stopped kissing Deborah. Jarrett smacked him in the head with the guitar, drawing the disqualification. 
You know, in retrospect, and in light of these recent sexual assault allegations back here in 2017, when I rewatch this match, I feel like Jeff Jarrett is the good guy in this situation. I mean, Goldust just assaulted an innocent woman and Double J came to her defense. I dare say, Jeff Jarrett may be a hero. We then cut backstage where we witness the arrival of The Rock. Last week, Vince McMahon not only took away The Rock's number one contendership for the WWF title and removed him from the Survivor Series tournament, but he also had him arrested for making death threats toward him. However, last night on Sunday Night Heat, Vince said that he would let The Rock earn his way back into the tournament tonight on Raw, but there's a catch if he loses. And this is how I'm going to get to you, Rock. This week on Raw, you're going to be in a match with a man who defeated you one, two, three in the past, the world's strongest man, Mark Henry. Now, let me tell you, in this matchup with the world's strongest man, Mark Henry, if you don't win the match by pinfall or submission, Rock, you won't have to worry about being the people's champion. You'll be just one of the people because your services will be no longer required here in the World Wrestling Federation. What? That's right. Out? You're not going to have a job if you don't beat Mark Henry by submission or pinfall. If you do, you go right into the Survivor Series, right where you think you belong. You see, Rock, you have to understand something. Since you're the people's champion, you carry the weight of all of these people on your back. And this people's champion stuff, the people's eyebrow, the people's elbow. Since you carry the weight of all these people on your back, you're nothing but the people's ass. Oh, that's heavy. McMahon saying it's all or nothing for The Rock tomorrow night on Raw. Well, hold on, Jabroni. Make no mistake about it. The Rock says he would much rather be the people's ass than to ever kiss yours. Whoa! Well, there you have it. There is no way The Rock would ever sell out to Vince McMahon, so he's going to have to fight City Hall. And in this case, that means having to defeat Mark Henry via pinfall or submission tonight on Raw in order to be re-entered into the Survivor Series tournament. But if he doesn't win, he's fired. It's all or nothing for the People's Champ tonight, so I guess we shall see how it all plays out. We then cut to a montage of various clips of Jesse the Body Ventura during his WWF tenure because, clearly, they weren't going to miss an opportunity to tell everyone that the new governor of Minnesota got his start in their company. And in fact, Jerry Lawler tells us that Vince McMahon has personally extended an invitation for Jesse to appear on Raw next week, so file that one under the wishful thinking category. After a commercial break, we go backstage where Michael Cole is standing by with The Rock. And I'm actually going to play Rock's promo for you here, because for my money, I think this is the first time we've gotten a promo from Rock, which actually sounds like the typical Rock promos we come to know and love over the years. And by that I mean hitting a bunch of his catchphrases and finishing with, if you smell what the rock is cooking. He does trip over his lines a bit when he speaks, but hey, you gotta start somewhere. So take a listen. We're no longer the number one contender for the WWF Championship. We also learned you were no longer in the Survivor Series tournament. 
but tonight in your match against Mark Henry, with that aside, you are fighting for your professional existence. Well, you're going to be fighting to get the rocks put out of your ass with your stupidity. Well, shut up. Shut your mouth, Jabroni. The fact of the matter is this. Yeah, sure, that Jabroni piece of trash, Rudy Poo, Vince McMahon holds all the damn people's cards in his hand. And yeah, the fact of the matter is this. The Rock said it before, and he'll damn sure say it now in front of you, this piece of trash holding the camera, all these all these idiots over here it goes like this Vince nobody crosses the rock and nobody bosses the rock the rock is gonna walk out down the people's aisle into the people's ring and lay the smack down on Mark Henry's fat ass if you smell what the rock is cooking fun fact this is also the first time we've ever heard rock use the phrase Rudy Pooh so make a note of that one because spoiler alert that'll become a huge part of his promos as well However, no sooner does The Rock finish his promo than we see Goldust run right by him and start attacking Jeff Jarrett, presumably as payback for that guitar shot. Goldust beats the shit out of Double J, and then, amusingly, he sits him up in an office chair and positions him for the Shattered Dreams. But, before he can deliver the kick, the Blue Blazer attacks Goldust. Amusingly, Jim Ross attempts to say, the Blue Blazer's back, but instead he gets a bit tongue-tied and says, the Blue Blazer's black, which is clearly not the case. But anyway, the Blazers' attack allows Jarrett to take control and start beating on Goldust himself, but a group of referees finally show up on the scene to separate them. But yet again, the mystery continues to unfold. What exactly is this relationship between Jeff Jarrett, Owen Hart, and the Black Blazer? Stay tuned. Up next, we go back to the arena for the first ever match for the WWF Hardcore title. Champion Mankind versus Ken Shamrock, whose WWF Intercontinental title is not on the line here. And since this is the first ever WWF Hardcore title match, I'll quickly explain the rules to you because they're quite simple. There are no countouts, no disqualifications, and pinfalls count anywhere. And, as Batista so eloquently put it many years later, And well, weapons are not only welcomed... They're allowed. And speaking of which, in case you ever doubted that this was a different time, before the match begins, we get a montage of Mankind and Shamrock smashing each other in the head with unprotected chair shots. Because as you know, concussions did not exist in 1998. And when Mankind comes to the ring, we see the results of his backstage makeover. His hair is shorter and neatly combed, his beard has been shaved off, and he's wearing a full tuxedo with a bow tie, a cummerbund, designer shoes, and even a pocket square. Although he is still also wearing his usual mask too, so I guess he still looks like Mankind in the facial area at least. Before the match begins, we see Vince McMahon, the Stooges, and the Big Boss Man watching on from the top of the ramp, and Jerry Lawler even refers to Mankind as the corporate champion, and let's just say you may want to remember that term for the next episode of this podcast. So the match itself was a pretty brutal brawl, as you probably expect from this type of match, with chairs, camera cables, and even the hardcore title itself being used as weapons. I also want to single out one spot in particular where Mankind put the mandible claw on Ken Shamrock outside the ring, and Shamrock was able to escape by grabbing Mankind for a belly-to-belly suplex and dropping him face-first on the steel steps. It looked incredibly painful and dangerous, and there's probably a reason why no one other than Mick Foley is insane enough to take that move. Both men then continued brawling up the ramp, near where Vince, the Stooges, and the boss man were located. 
From there, because Foley hadn't already taken enough punishment, Shamrock then gave him a back suplex at the top of the ramp, right on the steel grating. And then, Shamrock followed that up shortly thereafter, with an unprotected chair shot to Mankind's skull. However, before Shamrock could pin Foley, the big boss man levels Shamrock in the head with his nightstick, knocking him down at the top of the stage. Mankind was then able to roll on top of him, with Tim White counting the one, the two, and the three. Your winner of the very first WWF Hardcore Championship match, Mankind. After the match, Foley then celebrates by hugging Vince and the Stooges, and it certainly appears that his newfound family is going to have his back for quite a while. From there, however, we quickly cut backstage, where EMTs are running past Michael Cole, who frantically tells us that The Rock has been attacked. After a quick commercial break, Cole updates us further by saying that no one saw what happened, but apparently someone smacked The Rock in the back of the head, and the EMTs are now checking on him. I can only wonder if Vin Diesel had an alibi that night. And then we go back to the arena, where Stone Cold Steve Austin is heading to the ring. Remember, we're in Dallas tonight, and Austin's fellow Texans certainly are not shy about giving him a massive ovation when he comes through the curtain. So Austin grabs a microphone, and he then proceeds to tell us that he thinks something is up. You know, for the last two weeks, ever since I got reinstated into the WWF with a new five-year contract... When Shane McMahon came out in this very ring and overstepped the authority of Vince McMahon and brought Stone Cold Steve Austin back to the World Wrestling Federation, I realize that it's been relatively easy for myself. I haven't had to come out here and drive cement trucks to the building, drive Zambonis to the ring, which means, which means Vince... I know you still hate my guts, and I still hate yours. But there's something going on. You won't come out here and face Stone Cold Steve Austin. Get back here hiding like a little yellow bastard that you are. Man. You sit back here. And you think up your plans with your little stooges, but I tell you right now, if you've got a plan for Stone Cold Steve Austin, you can bet your sorry ass it's going to backfire, and that's all i got to say about that. As soon as Stone Cold finishes speaking, however, the big boss man shows up at the top of the ramp with a microphone of his own. He says that Stone Cold's days in the WWF have been easy up to now, but Vince McMahon is paying him a lot of money, not just to beat Austin at Survivor Series, but to put him into a wheelchair as well. Stone Cold then plays off of Bossman's background and says he knows about what prison guards do to the inmates in the middle of the night, and he offers to shove Bossman's nightstick up his ass for him, which is awfully kind of him. However, Bossman refuses to fight and instead tells Austin that he'll see him this Sunday at Survivor Series. Once Bossman heads backstage, for the very first time, we get a scene which ends up becoming a Stone Cold Steve Austin tradition. He grabs a beer from a cooler near the commentary table and proceeds to chug it in the ring. Note that I said he only chugs one beer because, as the years go on, he pretty much has a six-pack with him at every arena, and I'm not talking about Sean Waltman's WCW gimmick. We then go backstage again to Michael Cole, who says that an ambulance has been called to take The Rock to a nearby hospital. 
And after another quick commercial break, Cole then finds Vince McMahon, the boss man, and the Stooges backstage. Vince says that even though The Rock has been attacked backstage, he's still obligated to compete in a match against Mark Henry tonight, and the stipulation is still the same. If The Rock doesn't win by pinfall or submission, he will lose his job. And that would be terrible, because if The Rock didn't have his wrestling gig, well, he'd end up being the biggest movie star in the world. Okay, then. And so we go back to the arena for our next match, Al Snow versus Tiger Ali Singh, who is accompanied by Babu. Interestingly, last week Mankind lost Mr. Sako before he headed to the ring, but this week we see that Al Snow has wrapped Sako around the head of, uh, head, so it appears that the mystery has been solved. Al is seemingly the one who kidnapped Sako. Before the match begins, Tiger grabs a microphone and says that the WWF should not have him wrestling a dangerous, psychotic person, so instead, Al Snow will have to face Babu. We then get a close-up of Babu's face, and he appears terrified to have to face Al Snow, but I'm not sure why since we're literally just days away from him forming a stable called the Job Squad. He's not exactly an intimidating wrestler, that's all I'm saying. As soon as the bell rings, of all people... Deborah McMichael then walks to the ring, since this hasn't been overbooked enough already five seconds in. With Al easily dominating his match against Babu, Deborah then proceeds to pick up Head and hold it, eh, close to her chest. Al then sees this and yells at Head, quote, Get out of her sweater, puppets! However, while this distraction is going on, Tiger Ali Singh sneaks into the ring, hits Al with a bulldog, and then... pins him for the three count. What the fuck? Babu had just wrestled Al for two minutes, so I thought Tiger running in would have caused a disqualification. But no, he somehow wins the match. That's some straight-up WCW booking there. And no sooner does Tiger get the pinfall than Al immediately rolls out of the ring, completely no-selling Tiger's bulldog finisher. Methinks he must have been getting tips backstage from Road Warrior Hawk. Al then proceeds to yell at the Sako-wearing head and even threaten her, which I believe could be considered domestic violence. Up next, we then cut to a montage of Sable exercising in a gym in preparation for her women's championship match with Jacqueline at the Survivor Series. Essentially, this is just an excuse for the horny male fanbase to drool over Sable while she works out in slow motion in a variety of skimpy outfits. Now, I don't mean to imply this was a bit of a tasteless segment, but let's just say that Sable could probably win the softcore title after that montage. Just say it. We then go backstage, where Michael Cole is in The Rock's locker room as EMTs are tending to him. Cole asks one of the EMTs for an update, but then... Vince McMahon, the boss man, and the Stooges enter. Vince says that he has an update for Cole. The Rock is about to be unemployed. All five men then exit the locker room, which struck me as pretty funny because they basically just popped in, heckled Rock for a few seconds, and then left. Vince McMahon, the WWF's version of Statler and Waldorf. We then head back to the arena for our next match, Kane versus Edge, who is accompanied by Gangrel and WWF light heavyweight champion Christian. Once again, Gangrel does his Ring of Fire entrance, but Edge and Christian come out from backstage. In my opinion, they need to get with the program because it looks much more badass when all three of them do it together. And speaking of fire, apparently that fireball from earlier tonight didn't cause enough carnage for Kane's liking because he walks to the ring holding a gas can and a friggin' blowtorch. Hoo boy. So what follows is pretty much an extended squash match here where Kane is just beating the crap out of Edge for roughly three minutes. 
Toward the end of the match, Gangrel and Christian started double-teaming Kane outside the ring, and then Edge did his very impressive over-the-top rope body splash. From there, all three members of the Brood just started beating the shit out of Kane, so referee Jimmy Corderas had no choice but to call for, wait for it, a disqualification. Philip Goad, there's another one to add to the total. However, despite the fact that all three men were ganging up on him, Kane eventually shrugged off their attack with ease. He then hit Christian, Gangrel, and Edge with choke slams and piled them up in the center of the ring. And once he did that, Kane grabbed the gas can and blowtorch. Jimmy Corderas then tried to stop him, so Corderas ended up taking a choke slam and being thrown on top of the pile. From there, Kane poured the gasoline on all four men as Jim Ross pleaded for someone to help by saying, quote, Can we go to break for God's sake? The hell with the ratings. Well, JR, this week's episode is pre-taped six days in advance, so don't worry, there'll be plenty of time to edit out this vampire bonfire. But thankfully, before he can turn the brood into human marshmallows, a bunch of referees enter the ring and pull them out of harm's way. However, this only appeared to make Kane even more pissed off, so he went into the crowd and choke-slammed a fan over the barricade. And by the way, whoever this planted fan is, he looks like the biggest douche in the world. He's a white guy with multicolored hair that's wrapped up in several rubber bands, so need I say more? If you need a point of comparison, he kind of reminds me of Chris Kirkpatrick from NSYNC. And yes, as far as Kane was concerned on this night, Chris Kirkpatrick, you can get your ass kicked. So Kane then heads off backstage, as I'm left to wonder why he felt the need to bring a blowtorch with him when we saw him summon the power of fire earlier tonight. Seems a bit labor-intensive, doesn't it? I mean, if you can shoot a fireball from your own hand, why would you bother bringing a blowtorch? You could have incinerated those three brood dudes in no time flat. I think Kane could use some lessons in time management. And after a commercial break, Vince McMahon, the Stooges, and the Big Boss Man head to the ring with Gerald Briscoe and Pat Patterson helpfully pushing Vince's wheelchair. They position Vince at the bottom of the ramp so he can face the entranceway, and he then proceeds to call out The Rock. However, likely due to the injury he suffered from being sneak attacked backstage, The Rock does not show up. But in his place, Shane McMahon does, and he's still dressed in his referee uniform. And, well... Let's pick it up from there. What are you doing out here? I want The Rock. I don't want a lowly referee. Dad, would you please cut the crap? You're taking your frustrations out on everybody. You're taking your frustrations out on the fans. You're taking your frustrations out on Stone Cold? I hate Stone Cold! You're taking your frustrations out on The Rock? And why? Your frustrations, it's it's not about The Rock. It's not about Stone Cold. It's not about the fans. This is about family business. This is about us, Dad. This is about you and me. Oh, no, no, no. This is not family business anymore. This is my business. You said it best, okay? My ego, my power trips. I would suggest that you get the hell out of here, whether you're my son or not, right now. 
I don't have all day. Dad, if you want to channel your anger, if you want to take your frustrations out on somebody, then take it out on me, Dad, because you always did. something when I punished you as a child you had it coming now you get the hell out of here or you're gonna have another beating coming now move get out I'm not leaving I'm not leaving well I'll tell you what you're not leaving I'm gonna enjoy this more than I enjoyed punishing you as a child. Boss man, get him! What? What's he doing? Good God! Come I want to see this! Get him, boss man! And this is, I mean, this is his own son, JR. So what you heard at the end there was the boss man rolling Shane into the ring, then following him in and putting his nightstick under Shane's chin. However, before the boss man can beat Shane just like Vince apparently did to him as a child, Stone Cold Steve Austin runs out from backstage to make the save. Austin clotheslines the boss man out of the ring, then he and Shane walk back up the ramp. Boss man was going to follow Stone Cold and Shane, but Vince tells him to stick around the ringside area instead. Stone Cold Steve Austin coming to the rescue of the man who signed him to a five-year contract. I suppose he does kind of owe him a favor in that regard. And after another commercial break, we see that Vince, the Stooges, and the Boss Man are still at ringside in preparation for the main event. And sure enough, Mark Henry then comes to the ring, accompanied by D'Lo Brown. But will The Rock show up to face the world's strongest man? Well, they play Rock's music for a bit, but then it cuts off, and he's nowhere to be found. His music then plays a second time, as Vince McMahon can be heard saying that he isn't going to show up. However... The Rock actually does come out from backstage, so if he loses tonight and ends up being fired, at least he can say that he went down fighting. For those keeping score at home, this is the first time that we've seen The Rock wear a loose-fitting black shirt along with black track pants, and I point this out because it will eventually end up becoming an outfit that he wears quite often in the coming months after he has male breast reduction surgery. And yes, you heard that correctly, but that's a whole other story. The point is... The Rock is ready to face Mark Henry with his job on the line. And the match was actually pretty good, especially for a Mark Henry match at this point in time. It was rather back and forth until the interference began. With D'Lo jumping up on the ring apron to distract the referee, the big boss man then attempted to handcuff Rock to the ring post. But Rock was able to squirm away, and he actually handcuffed the boss man to the post instead. Rock then hit Mark Henry with a DDT and went for a cover but D'Lo pulled the ref out of the ring before he could count to three, and then D'Lo punched him in the face for good measure, knocking him unconscious on the arena floor. Rock then hit Mark Henry with a rock bottom and went to follow it up with a people's elbow, so let's pick it up from there. Champion. And the Rock is in the Survivor Series this Sunday. 
Yes, that's right. Brand new referee Shane McMahon ran out from backstage and made the three count, thus saving The Rock's job and re-entering him into the Survivor Series WWF title tournament this Sunday. Shane then jumped up and down and ran off backstage and appears that he has once again gotten the upper hand on his father. And after he left, The Rock set his sights on Vince McMahon. With the boss man still handcuffed to the turnpost, Rock went over to Vince, yanked him out of his wheelchair, and threw him into the ring. Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe got in Rock's way, but he easily dispatched both of them with punches. Vince then stood up on his one good leg and went face-to-face with The Rock, and I'll play what happens next for you. About ten seconds into this clip, you'll hear Jerry Lawler react with a loud, Oh! And that's because Vince slaps Rock right in the face. And from there, well... You can probably guess what happens after that. McMahon's still on one bad leg. He's the big boss man is handcuffed. McMahon is helpless. Boss man, do something. The Rock is in the Survivor Series this Sunday for the WWF title. Look, Mr. McMahon's still... Oh! What in the hell is... What a man! Look at the Rock's eyes. Did you? Look at the eyes. No! Oh, look. McMahon's no! He's hurt. He's hurt. McMahon is going... He can't do it. People's champion has struck. No, no, not this. McMahon hates the people. How will he like the people's elbow? Do something, Big Boss Man. Stop this. Yes. McMahon has lost the first you round. He the right game. game. You gave him a heart attack. Who will prevail and become the new WWF champion? This Sunday will pay for you. And that is how we go off the air. The Rock has successfully defied Vince McMahon, kept his job, and fought his way back into the Survivor Series tournament, but who will win the whole thing and become the new WWF champion this Sunday? I guess you'll just have to stay tuned to find out. But we're not done just yet, so on that note, let's take it to the wrap-up. Yo, I slayed them seeds back in the rec room era. My style broke motherfucking backs like him for terror. A freak beat slamming like Iron Sheik. We dedicated to cast that's been thugging. Vinny Paz got more hoes than Jim Duggan. I'm bananas out of my fucking mind. It won't let me back in. Cause I was down before the heights like Dusty Rose and Bob Backlund. Bruno San Martino, Stan Stasiak. Now I'm rocking Stone Cold on my favorite maniac. The top rooster plucking. Chickens when they plucking. Cause WWF stands for women where we fucking. The Ratings Recap Last week, Raw beat Nitro in the ratings 4.81 to 4.09, but WCW usually closes the gap a little bit when Raw is pre-taped, as it was this week. However, that certainly did not happen here, because the rating of the pre-taped Raw actually increased substantially, up to a 5.03, while Nitro stayed relatively consistent with a 4.06. And of course, for the sake of comparison, here's what you could have been watching over on Nitro. Juventud Guerrera defeated Kaz Hayashi. Alex Wright and Barry Horowitz went to a no contest, which makes sense because there are surely no winners in that match. Scott Norton defeated Lodi to retain his IWGP heavyweight title. Rey Mysterio defeated Eddie Guerrero. Definitely go check that match out. Scott Steiner defeated Brian Adams. Conan defeated Bret Hart by disqualification. And, in your main event, Kevin Nash and Lex Luger defeated Scott Hall and the Giant by disqualification. 
There were a few other noteworthy moments from this show, particularly Hulk Hogan trying to one-up Jesse Ventura by declaring he was going to run for President of the United States in the year 2000. And sadly, I bet he probably did end up getting a few write-in votes. Also, after weeks of Chris Jericho calling out Goldberg, he finally answered the challenge and absolutely leveled Jericho with an impressive-looking spear right in the aisleway. Definitely a memorable Nitro moment, so I would recommend you check that out as well. And, in another noteworthy segment, we got the final WCW appearance of a certain wrestler. With the Disciple in the ring being triple-teamed by NWO members Stevie Ray, Horace Hogan, and Vincent, someone came to the ring to help him out. Now, you talk about the M.O. of the New World Order. Here's the private example. Stevie Ray, Vincent, Horace Hogan, and here comes the leader of the O.W.S. The warrior on his way to the ring. This will more than even the score. Chance to clear all the garbage from the ring now. Remains. There he is. Oh, the leader of the One Warrior Nation. And he just flattened Horace. Yes, that's right. The Warriors' final WCW appearance was a run in where he provided backup for Brutus Beefcake against Horace Hogan. Needless to say, WCW probably didn't get their money's worth from Warrior, which ended up being, according to the book Death of WCW, one million dollars for less than three months of work. But hey, Hogan did get his win back from WrestleMania six, so I'm sure the Hulkster would say that he was worth every penny. And so on that note, let's take it to the Raw Synopsis. Overall, I would say this was a pretty good show. Not great, but definitely a fun lead-in to Survivor Series. Kane is magically shooting fireballs and attempting to set people on fire. Goldust has ditched his wife Terry once and for all, and the Blue Blazer is still running wild. Pretty fun stuff happening there on the undercard. But as for the main eventers, Stone Cold got a piece of the big boss man, Shane McMahon got revenge on his father, and The Rock managed to win his way back into the WWF title tournament at Survivor Series. However, perhaps overshadowing all of that is the fact that Vince McMahon has seemingly chosen Mankind as his handpicked champion. If indeed that is the case... It appears quite likely that this Sunday, we will be witnessing the coronation of, of all people, Mick Foley. Could he possibly become Vince's personal corporate champion? I guess you'll just have to find out next time when I discuss Survivor Series with Lee Carlos Cunningham. Be sure to tune in, because you won't want to miss that. So on that note, I think we can wrap this episode up. As always, thank you for listening to the Raw Attitude Podcast. I am Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex, and I will remind you once again to feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Send us an email at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at rawattitudepod. Or more importantly, write us a five-star review on iTunes because that helps us find an even wider audience. And of course, if you do that, I will be sure to read the review on this very podcast and give you full credit for doing so. I have nothing further to add about this episode, so I will now leave you with two clips. The first one is a bumper for The Slasher Sanitarium, a fellow podcast on the Questionable Endeavor Network, which showcases horror-themed media. And the second one will be 
a clip of Jesse Ventura's acceptance speech after he won the Minnesota gubernatorial election on November 3, 1998. And he even begins it by mentioning his AWA days when he tag-teamed with Adrian Adonis. So enjoy that, and I will catch you next time. You have been invited to the Slasher Sanitarium. Come join us as we talk about horror movies, horror fiction, and horror television. Subscribe now to the Slasher Sanitarium. New episodes coming soon. of ironic because uh, we're going to have fun tonight. You know why? We're going to have some fun. It's kind of ironic. I believe it was 1981 that I, that Adrian and I first sold out the Civic Center in St. Paul. And you're still, you're still cheering me only in 81 it was Jesse Sucks. And, uh, but you were, the main thing is you were cheering then, we're cheering now, and again, I don't know what else to say. We've shocked the world. Minnesota leads the way. We, we lead the way in setting the example for the rest of the country that hopefully, hopefully the Democrats and the Republicans will take notice now. They will stop, wait, wait. They will stop their partisan party politics and start doing what's right for the people.